Hello and welcome to the Rogue Monkey Podcast. My name is Kevin Pickards. We've reached our 30th episode and we've got a very special story to share with you today. But before we get into that, if you're not already subscribed to the show, please make sure you hit subscribe on whatever platform you're joining us from today. And after the episode, if you can give us a quick review, that would be greatly appreciated. The release of today's episode coincides with Rare Disease Day, an awareness event aiming to support the 300 million people around the world affected and generate conversation around a subject that too often doesn't get enough exposure. Head over to rarediseaseday.org to find out more. Our guest today and the story he shares brings to life the journey of someone affected by a life-threatening illness, and we hope his story will inspire others who face similar challenges. Today's emotional rollercoaster of an interview isn't one that I'm traversing alone, and I'm pleased to be joined by co-host Danny Buckley. Danny featured in our YouTube 2020 review episode and brings a wealth of knowledge and interview experience with him. I'm not going to say any more as today's episode is full of twists and turns along the way, so we're going to get straight into today's discussion and our 30th episode of the Rogue Monkey podcast. The Cancer Journey, bringing to life the story of Ashton Marshall. Hello, gents. Welcome to the podcast. How are you both? Good. Yeah. Good. Thank you. Good. Yeah. Awesome. I'm well, good too. That's a good start. Yeah, it's always a good start. We've got uh, got Danny, guest host, joining us today, and we're going to be exploring uh, a very fascinating and emotional journey that you've been on over the last few years, Ash. So, if you can just give us a little bit of an intro as to who you are and kind of you know what your your headline journey's been like. Yeah, so um, my name is Ashton Marshall. I'm 25 and I was diagnosed with stage two testicular cancer on Christmas Eve 2019. Um, yeah, I, mean, I, I guess the reason I'm here is obviously because I've gone through such a horrific journey, which could have been very easy to solve at very early doors. Um, but obviously, being such an alpha male, I think, which is such a big subject in. in the days we're living at the moment, I, I tried my best to find a, a positive and a negative that I was living. And I suppose I've done pretty well. So, yeah, it was uh, delighted to, to be reached out from, from Danny and Kevin today to come on here, really. Yeah, well, we're going to explore kind of this this timeline because it's it's something that unless you've experienced it or had close family experience, it, I don't think anyone can actually imagine it and gain the insights that hopefully you're going to share with us today. But I mean, take us back to kind of the start back. I think it was 2019. Um, you know, what happened? How did this all kind of first flag up before the alpha male kicked in? Yeah, so I was, um, I was a bit of a Herbert, if you put it like that, really, a bit of a, a, a geezer, I guess, going down the pub most weekend at, 20, at 24. Um, no, sorry, I was 23 then. And it was the summer of 2019. I was going to a lot of festivals with my friends, going to football as much as I can. Um, and I was actually on a lad's holiday at, at a music festival called Hideout in Croatia. And I found a lump in my testicle. I don't know what it was. I just, I knew that, you know, us men should check your testicles for lumps and bumps. Um, my brother did actually have testicular cancer when he was 24. So I knew what it was about. I knew what to look for. And I found the lump on the holiday and I chose to ignore it because I thought nothing nothing it wasn't going to be anything bad nothing bad could happen to me I'm, I'm Ashton Marshall 
so I, I left it and over the, the next six months it did get progressively worse it got a little bit bit bigger uh, it got more sore and tender I couldn't wear skinny jeans in the end um, I got hit in the testicles by a football playing five sides and like that pain I'll never forget like there is pain from you know us lads will know of being hit in the testicles by a ball but I will never forget that pain it was literally excruciating um, and then I, I thought I'd better grow up at some point and I then basically got into a relationship with my, my now fiance Charlotte who, who I worked with for the last on and off with uh, for the last five years and she kind of wound me in really and you know, I stopped going out so much. I stopped hanging around with the wrong people. And I just became really ill one day at work. And I thought it was just from overworking. I had been offered a promotion. So I was doing everything in my power to show that I was the man for the promotion, if you like to call it. And um, I rang her one evening and just said, look, Charlotte, I really don't feel well. But I feel like my body is shutting down. And she's noticed over the last couple of days that I've been a bit down. And she said, why don't you, why don't you just call 111 and see what they say? And when I say that like, my body was shutting down, I was, I was just feeling really hot, really cold. Um, I was shaking. I had a really bad cough, but I just knew it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a cowpole job. It was something that was going on a little bit more intense. And um, at this point, I was the only person that knew I, I still had this lump on my testicle, which I chose to ignore and which I knew had become a lot worse. So I started panicking. I was like, oh my God, like, you know, I was literally sitting there at my desk thinking, I've got a really bad chest infection. I've got a lump on my testicle. What if I've got cancer and it's spread to my lungs? That was the kind of mindset I was in. It was really panicking, really. Um, so I spoke to a gentleman on, on the 111 call and explained all my symptoms. And he said, okay, it looks like you've got a chest infection. I said, just before you go, I want to. I want to kind of ask you. Um, you know, I've got. I found a lump on my testicle, and this is what's happened the last six months. And his tone of voice just changed dramatically. And he said, "Go to the hospital now. Go get it checked. Go get some some medication for your, your chest infection. And you know, your your GP will take it from there." So I, I rang Charlotte and said, "Look, I'm going to go to the hospital. That's what they've advised." But I still didn't tell her about this lump on the testicle because I was so embarrassed really you know I was in new into the relationship I didn't want to say that there was something potentially wrong with my testicle it's such a you know a private thing to say um so I got to the hospital and she came into the room with me actually she she met me there and I was really nervous because I thought I'm gonna to have to tell her at some point that the real reason I'm here is not just because of my chest infection but because I've got a lump on my testicle so before I, I mentioned it to the doctor, I just said, Charlotte, I'm really sorry. I should have been really honest with you, but this is something a little bit more deeper than what you think. And she kind of like looked amazing to say like, what? And then I just said to the doctor, I said, look, um, I've, I spoke to 111 on the call and she knew she had all the notes. Um, and I just said, look, I found a lump on my testicle and it's, it's becoming increasingly worrying. Um, so she felt the lump and I'll never forget that look that she kind of gave to me as if to say like, wow, look, why have you left this so long? Um, so she said, look, go for blood tests tomorrow, first thing, and go get an, an ultrasound scan on your testicle as well. And if it's anything really bad, they'll call you within the next 48 hours. So I went for the scan and then 
the next morning they literally called me at eight o'clock saying can you come to the doctors immediately and I said I can be there within the next five minutes I only live around the corner and that was Christmas Eve um, and that was it that was when I was, was diagnosed with stage two testicular cancer. Okay well I'm going to dive in with the first one can you recall what that was like being told that because there's a difference I guess between the the fear element and worrying about what it could be and what it might be and all that and actually hearing a, a medical professional say this is what it is. Yeah, I mean, it's um, people always say that like, they have that out of body experience of all four walls caving in. That's exactly how how I can describe it. Um, obviously, I, I was just filled with emotion of why me? What have I done wrong? Um, have I been too much of an idiot the last year? Is this someone trying to tell me to calm down or? To, to change my lifestyle I don't really know but I just remember turning around and saying to some of my dad and Charlotte who were in the room and just said I can't have cancer I'm Ashton Marshall why I, I can't this is not real Danny I don't know if you I'm just, I'm just thinking obviously you've known Ashton a little while now and you know what are kind of your thoughts on, on hearing that from from knowing him for a while yeah, well, this is kind of why I wanted to set this this sort of conversation up. Is because obviously I've, I say I've been in the in the fortunate position to to follow your story, Ashton. And I know that sounds really ridiculous because obviously it's been an unfortunate experience for you. But for me, as someone that's you know a similar age to you, we, we went to the same school, and um, we're obviously the same gender. We 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 we've done lots of the same things. It's been a it's been a fortunate experience for me to follow your story and to know what's been happening with you and follow the, the impact that you've made on everybody else because of this tragic thing that's happened. One thing I, I was really interested in speaking to you about, and I know this is something that I'm, I'm sure we'll come to at the end in, in terms of what's your message, um, but what, what made you first think Something's not right there. So you, you mentioned that you was away with your friends in uh, Croatia. And I think there will be people that will listen to this that, you know, check um, on a weekly basis, uh, as I now do, um, because of what happened to you. Uh, and and that's, that's the honest truth. Every single Sunday, I do check now. Um, but what was it? What was it that, that made you go, oh, hang on a minute, there's something there? Or what, what did it feel like? What was it? What should people look out for? Yeah, so it was just, um, it was like, a, I don't know if, I think, well, everyone has probably had a BB gun at some point in their their life, but a BB pellet, they're, they're so small. It's like almost like a peppercorn, really. That was how small it was on my testicle. Um, I always checked in the shower because that's how my brother taught me when he, not, not actually taught me, but that's how he said to me to check properly in the shower because you you know your body gets a little bit warmer and your skin gets easier to touch really so I, I remember feeling it and just thinking right okay well, what do I do now do I do I ring my brother do I ring the doctor or do I carry on having a good time at this festival and I was just such an idiot geezer lads that I thought I was and thought I'm going to enjoy this holiday and when I got back the you know it the lump never hurt until about November December time when I started to get this this chest infection so I do think that you know I did get this chest infection for a reason 
it wasn't linked. That's what the doctor says this very day. But I do think that I was meant to get a chest infection because I don't think I probably would have got it checked for maybe a couple more months and who knows where, you know, where it might have spread to. But I was just all about having a good time and thinking that nothing bad was going to happen to me. I was thinking maybe I've been drunk over the last couple of days and I've fallen over and knocked something or twisted something. It could be a cyst because they come and go. Um, but yeah, I was just all about having a good time and not letting anything negative affect me. And I knew that I, it would sound silly. I knew that that was negative, but I chose to ignore it because I wanted to have a good time. Right. I mean, let's say we'll pick up on, I guess, some of the reflections because I'm sure as we unpick what happened next, you know, I guess the gravity of the situation, if it wasn't already scary enough, you know, obviously that wasn't thankfully the end of the road. Um, so, you know, happy Christmas, you've got cancer. What happened next? So I was told on obviously Christmas Eve that that, that that was the day I was diagnosed. And my doctor said, look, the next stage is you need to have a few more blood tests. We need to see exactly, you know, what kind of, what type of tumour it is. And you need to have a, an operation to have your testicle removed, for, you know, immediately. So I'd never really, you know, well, I, that was the first ever operation I, I'd actually had. Um, and it was also moved to, to Bushy Hospital, at, so Watford Hospital, as that's where it could, I could be seen a lot quicker. Um, so I had the, the operation. The operation, looking back, it wasn't actually that bad. It was very similar to like having your appendix removed. Um, my big worry was obviously I was going to be living the rest of my life just one testicle so that was quite a big worry because I thought right, I definitely do want to have children at some point in my life um, will that affect me um, but they made it very very clear that you know some people are actually born with one testicle and it doesn't affect them at all so it won't affect me in the future I'll still be able to have you know as many kids as I like which is which is amazing I thought wow I've really I've really been lucky here and you know, I did leave it six months, but my doctor did say you've been very lucky because you left it so long. And if it was in June when you found it on this holiday, um, you know, a lot of other people, maybe older people, it would have spread a lot quicker to somewhere else. Um, so I had the operation on the 2nd of January uh, 2020. So I really didn't really have a New Year's Eve either. And obviously it was quite, quite annoying as it was our, our first one together as a couple with me and Charlotte. So, but all of that stuff really goes out the window and put it into context of, you know, the, the nightmare that we was living. Um, so yeah, that was it really. And then the, the doctor said over the next 10 years, you're going to be under surveillance of us. Um, you'll have a scan once a year, a CT scan, full body scan, make sure that everything's all good. Uh, you'll have blood tests every three to six months uh, for the next 10 years. And yeah, we'll go from there. So that was it. And I thought, wow, I've really found myself lucky here. Um, I went back to living life and, and enjoying work again. So just to put, I guess, some <clears throat> some dates on that, that's January 2020, two months before the rest of the world was going to start falling apart. So obviously, I would imagine you went into January, February, March, the start of 2020 with a relatively optimistic outlook, having dodged a pretty serious bullet. Mm -hmm yeah absolutely yeah i mean if you if you do get a chance scroll back to my instagram i've got some pretty cringy quotes uh, at the beginning of, in, of uh of 2020 saying you know I, I get knocked down but i get up again and 2020 here we come it, it's our year um 
so I was placed on on surveillance. We then went into lockdown in March as, as a country, which was quite hard. Uh, obviously, everyone was was living in the same nightmare then. Um, and then I got a phone call on June the twelfth from my doctor, and he said, "Your blood test. I need you to have another one." I said, "I've just had one last week." He said, "No, that's the reason I'm calling you. The markers." of the tumour has come back. Uh, I think it's called HFP levels, which is your protein cells, which only men men and women do have it. But it's basically if a lady was to, to have a pregnancy test, when it comes back positive, it's those cells that if a man weighs in a pregnancy stick and it comes back pregnant, that that's your HFP levels being too high. And it's, it is a very, a very bit, bit of a myth about testicular cancer but it is true if you do wee on a on a pregnancy stick and you do have testicular cancer it will show as positive so those levels so i knew i'd done all the research from from when i'd obviously been diagnosed but obviously been at escape the bullet as you said um and he said you need to have another test i really need to double check something here uh so i had another one and my hfp levels went even higher he then he then said i need you to come in like tomorrow so yeah, all the alarm bells started ringing again, really. I was like, okay, this is not right. Um, so he looked at my CT scan that I had a couple of weeks ago. Um, and this is weird. This, this bit's probably the hardest bit out of everything, really. He said it, it'd been found in my lymph nodes on the, on the left side. And I'd have to start chemotherapy next week. So I, that was it, really. I, I'd had six months to research what chemotherapy was. I had six months of speaking to other people who hadn't been so lucky in, in getting it early and had left it so long that they had had to start chemotherapy right away or even radiotherapy. And I knew what was about to come for me. And that was, that was harder than, than being diagnosed initially. Mm. And going back to a very similar question to what Kevin asked earlier is, is, was was that a similar feeling that you got at that stage when you when you heard that news, or was there a little bit more? Um, I, I I don't know. Could you appreciate the seriousness a little bit more at that stage because you'd already been through that process and you'd done the research, as you said, and you understood it a little bit more detail. Yeah, definitely. I think um, I they always say like Google's your worst friend. Like you don't Google anything, but mm-hmm. I'm obviously going to Google what chemotherapy is and. I'd, I'd spoken to, I joined a page on Facebook called The Cancer Lads, and it's about these two twins um, that have been diagnosed with testicular cancer within a space of a week of each other. It's obviously a really unique story, but they've got a fantastic support group for all men that are diagnosed with any type of cancer, but they do specialise in testicular. And I'd messaged Ryan, who is one of the twins, and he said, look, mate, you're really lucky to have escaped the chemotherapy side of things. I had to have three rounds and and have another uh, serious operation called RPLND. So like you're really lucky. Um, but I'd messaged him and said, look, mate, I've, I've got some really bad news, but I've been told that it's come back in my lymph nodes. And he said that's exactly what happened to me. Um, obviously, you've you've been lucky for the last six months. But with with me, I didn't get any time to to really sink in or anything. I just kind of started chemotherapy. But I've obviously I've had six months of searching the internet. But I knew this time round that I hadn't been lucky. I could hide, kind of hide it from from people that I, I wanted to because 
I'd only lost one testicle and I could tell my friends and family, but now I know that I'm going to undergo chemotherapy. I'm going to lose my hair. I'm going to lose my muscle. I'm going to look completely different. And there is no hiding that from anyone. Um, so I try, I kind of chose to, you know, puff my chest out and, and bring it on really. I, ha- I had no other option because if I didn't do that, then I, I don't think I would have coped. I would have found it 10 times harder. So my, my only option really was to, you know, tie my laces up and, and get dirty, really, and just get stuck in. Yeah, I think we, Kevin's the same. We, we both have relatives that, that have been through that process. So I guess to, to hear it from you, um, who's sort of a young male going through chemo, what, what, what was that like? What, what, was, what is chemo in, in a very brief description? And, and what was it like to, to go through that? Yeah, it's, um, it's disgusting. <laughs> it's horrendous. Um, for me, like I can cope with being ill because I'm I'm a, a healthy young man as it is, and I know like if I get a cough, I can, I'm usually over it in a couple of days. But with this, I knew I was going to be ill long term, and there was nothing I could do about it. Um, the hardest thing was looking completely different. Mm. I'd always taken pride in what I looked like. Um, I'd always had a six pack or whatever. I'd always had like toned arms. I've always looked after my body. And I've always had like nice hairstyles, but I knew now that I was about to lose all of that and I was going to look completely different. And it does go through your mind. Like, will Charlotte still fancy me? And will my friends still want to be friends with me? And I know my mum and dad are going to be there because they, they have to be there. They have no other option. But it's, you do start overthinking things, but it was awful. I, I chose to shave my hair off for, for charity. Uh, a week before I started treatment just so I didn't have that that feeling of pulling out my own hair or it, it falling out in the shower um, but I did actually I cut it back too early but it did fall it did end up falling out whilst I was in hospital and I'll never forget that I was just in the shower and I just put my my hand through my head to wash my my hair and it was just so oh heartbreaking it was it was literally like I was in a in a film it was really really strange feeling um and that was for 10 weeks. So for the 10 weeks, every week that went by, it just got harder and harder. But my, my HFP blood markers to show that the cancer was going, it was coming down quite a lot. So my, my doctor was really happy with that. So there was no time of like, you know slowing anything down or changing anything. It was literally, it was just go, go, go. We're doing really well. You keep going and hanging in there and we're you know, heading in the right direction. So yeah, chemotherapy for me was, it was really, really hard. And I guess I was lucky to go through it at the age of 24. I think, you know, we all know someone who has gone through chemotherapy. My, my auntie's gone through it and, and she was 48. And you know, it is harder than naturally as you do get older. But I think because I was younger, it was easier for me to cope with it in terms of my body. But it, yeah, it was hard for sure. Yeah, I think... Um having experienced it on both sides of the parents like i think the the brutality of it uh, does obviously get worse the older you get and i remember my grandfather having to have it uh, just before he sadly passed away years ago when i was quite young and i remember seeing that thinking wow like it, it's almost impossible to describe it until you've lived it and obviously really appreciate you kind of sharing everything so far I mean, we've touched on your story so far you've already mentioned you know your fiance charlotte and the family around you where, how did that factor into all of this? Because 
the the journey that we all go on through life is very much our journey but we take a lot of people with you and how did they cope deal manage what were the kind of discussions you were having around that period during chemo yeah i just felt really bad um me and charlotte had only just got into a relationship together and it was like you know i have to impress the in-laws and oh by the way i've got cancer it's like jesus christ how do you handle that um, but I guess it was it brought my family and her family really close really quickly and now it's quite a unique relationship that we have it's kind of like a big family which is is really really nice to, to see and look at um, but yeah I mean especially for Charlotte it's only till like now that we really talk about it and look back um, I mean I've only been in remission for just over a month now but you know, I feel like I'm starting to look normal again my hair's to a decent length I've just started working out again um, but yeah I mean Charlotte went through it mentally whereas I went through it physically and mentally but she did go through it just as much as I did um, and I, I is such a, a cliche thing to say oh, I've never been able to do it without you but I genuinely wouldn't have been able to do it without her beside me Obviously, it was all through the pandemic as well. So at the hospital, I was there off and on for 10 weeks, staying over, you know, maximum sometimes a week. That was quite hard because I was on my own. I wasn't allowed any visitors. I was lucky that I was I was there long enough to pick and choose which bedroom I was going to have. And I ended up picking the one with the window in. So I could just have visitors to the window. Um, so that was really hard to cope with. But as I mentioned earlier, uh, with, with Charlotte's mum being a nurse, she was brilliant within all of it as well. Um, she pointed out, you know, me into the right direction a lot of times. But yeah, I mean, it's kind of just sprung the family really close together. And it's now that we look back and think, wow, that was a hell of a year. And now we can really start to look forward to, you know, buying our first house and getting married and, and children and things like that, really. But yeah, it's really brought us yeah, close together. That's, uh, that's, that's really good to hear. I'm, I'm glad that there's some positives um, out of the, the process that you've, you've all been through. I guess linking to that then is, is, is what about you? And so we've heard your story and what it was like going through um, the, this journey. But now that you've come out the other side, what's changed? What's, what's different about you? Obviously, anyone going through that, that process is going to change in some way. Um, so has your outline, uh, outview in, in life changed? Um, has your motivation for certain things changed? Have you changed personally, would you say? Yeah, definitely I've changed. Um, I, I always, I'd get back to like, I was a bit of a Herbert before, maybe hang around with the wrong people. Um, I was never a horrible person, but I think maybe I look back and I think you was a bit of an idiot maybe maybe a bit too big for your boots um but the way i look at life now is, is very different and i look back to that person i was before i wouldn't i don't change or regret anything but i just maybe wish i did things a little bit differently and and maybe wasn't so stubborn and things wouldn't have worked out the way that they have but i definitely appreciate life and i'm a lot more relaxed now and about minor things that really don't matter that maybe two years ago I would have got really wound up about it's, you know life has you know chooses its paths and it deals these cards to you and it's you know down to you of how you you deal with them but I definitely think I look at life as, in a more relaxed way um, I'm even more healthier than what I was before um, but 
it's also affected my, my, my family. They're, they all look after themselves. Like no one smokes anymore. Not, it's not like everyone smoked before, but we're very against things like that. You know, if you choose to smoke, you choose to smoke. But in our family, you know, we, it's something that has hit home with, with looking after yourself and, and making sure that you are checking for lumps and bumps. I'm curious because there's people listening out there being, and I think the context adds such a, a different dynamic to it because most, not most people, that's the wrong phrase. People, when they get older, uh, 50s, 60s, 70s, whenever it is, you would anticipate some form of health crises at some point, unless you're very, very fortunate. But actually, so we've experienced it so young and gone through bullet number one, surgery, testicle removed, bullet number two, chemo and having such a wonderful you know family support network around you to get through that i mean i don't want to you almost feel like we're shortcutting the story that wasn't the end of it you know like the, <laughs> that's not a bit regard done and dusted you know chemo finishes after 10 weeks happy yeah. days tick back to normal i mean you, you take us through that final bit because for me that's i hope the closing of the chapter in this sense but it's um it, it's incredible yeah, so I was on um, week eight of chemotherapy and I had my, well, it was meant to be my last checkup CT scan. And I had that checked. And then I went in for my last week of chemotherapy. So I went with my suitcase, my PlayStation, set up my bedroom in the hospital. And my doctor came in with two other new doctors which I'd never seen before. And I've spoken to a few of the lads on the ward uh, who, who are also cancer patients. And there's always, and I'm sure any, there are any cancer patients listening, they'll agree that whenever you see a new doctor out of the blue, you know that something is wrong. So these two new doctors came in and my doctor said, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. And I just, I some, something in the room, the atmosphere had changed. It was really, really weird. and. He said, I need to speak to you about your scan. I said, well, yeah, you know, I'm looking forward to hearing the results. And he said, Look, I'm, there is no easy way to put this. And I am really sorry to deliver this news to you, but the, your chemotherapy, it is working and it is getting rid of the, key, the cancer cells in your tumour, which is in your, your left side of your lymph nodes on your stomach. But what it isn't actually getting rid of is the tumour itself. So it's killing it, but it's not killing the tumour. So I, I was just, I don't understand what, what you're trying to say. So he was like, well, it's kind of like getting a rock, which is covered by mud. It's getting rid of all the mud, but it's not getting rid of the rock. So I said, right, okay, so what are you going to do to get rid of the rock? And he, I, I just said, like, is it going to be like another week of chemotherapy? And he said, no, 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 I think you need to sit down because I was standing up and I was pacing, I was on my own. You know, I just I just remember looking at myself in the mirror and looking like, wow, I look so ill. Like, what the hell is going on? Um, and he said, you need to undergo a serious operation, and it's called the RPLND, which I had known about before because my my friend Ryan on the cancer lads page had had it, and it's what you have if the treatment doesn't work, basically. And it's a one in ten chance of working. It's a one in ten chance of you having to undergo the, the surgery. Um, that was just like, wow! Like, what the hell? What the hell is going on? Because 
he literally said that news and then he then he left like he's not a counselor he's there to deliver me the news and update me what's going on and that's it so i i, I kind of panicked I, I ran i was like i can't read charlotte that's gonna break her heart so i rang her mom and i just said look this is the news and she started crying and i was just like oh who do i speak to that's not gonna cry because i need i need someone to go to for strength i need to to air what's going on um and she she said like just wait until the evening to tell charlotte and you know, whatever we, whatever it is, you know, we, we know we're going to get through it. But the big factor of it was that I knew that if I had to have this operation, I wouldn't be able to have children anymore because it's that intense for an operation. Um, you know, for those that don't don't know what the RPLND is, it's the removal of the lymph nodes completely because that's where the cancer is. So they'd have to cut me open from the bottom of my chest all the way down my stomach, past my belly button lift out my organs like my kidneys out of the way to get right to the back of my lymph nodes to then cut them out and then put all the organs back in and then stitch me back up the operation is like an eight hour surgery um and it's only done by like 25 surgeons in the uk so it's a really intense and specialist operation that was heartbreaking i think that was the hardest thing out of being diagnosed out of being told three months, oh, sorry, six months later, you've got to have chemotherapy. But, but being told that, you know, we're going to strip you of your, your identity of what you look like. We're going to make you really ill. Um, but by the way, like it still doesn't finish you off. Like we're not finished with you yet. That was like, that just done me. And that was the only time I'd sat in my hospital bed and just, I literally remember laying there and thinking, I'm going to give up. I am going to be that kid that died of cancer. And I, I just, I uh, just in such a negative mind frame. And I was laid there and I was just like, you know, cancer, you do what you've got to do because I don't think I can do this anymore. It's, it's, I'm lost for words, Danny. I don't know about you, but I don't know. I think having seen it uh, both ways, I've seen it uh, the, the good way and I've seen it go the bad way. I think it's, uh, it's incredibly moving that you can verbalise that so well. And I think the, the difference is and me and Danny have spoken about this previously, I think the older generation keep the stiff upper lip, whether it's going good or bad. And I think, you know, I can only speak from personal experience, the the latter weeks of spending time with my dad, he didn't accept that, that he was giving up. It, it, there was nothing he could do. And I think the the it's so incredible that you're able to, obviously that you you are where you are, but that you can actually verbalise that in your head, that was the thought process you went through. Because I think the ability for people to recognize not that they're giving up, you know, on a piece of coursework or on a job or on a relationship or whatever it is, but they're giving up on life. Like, I don't know how you do that. So again, thank you so much for sharing that. Cause I think that's hugely powerful. And I mean, what happened next? Because I almost feel like I want to get out of this bit into the really good stuff. <laughs> I'll speed up. <laughs> no. So, um, so I finished the, the final two weeks of chemotherapy. Um, so it was kind of annoying because I had all this like, oh, I'm going to have a party, I'm going to celebrate. <laughs> and it was just as the lockdown re restrictions were, were coming in and you could have parties with up to 30 people. So, you know, I was buzzing for life. I was really getting excited for the, the new beginning, but for, for that to be told. Like, and it's just so, I was embarrassed to tell my friends because I was like, 
they were my friends in the group chat there's like 28 of us and they were all like given a countdown of you know ashley's last day of treatment 17th of august um and but to sit there and write a, a big paragraph into the group chat again oh it was just so hard and I was just like I feel like I'm just leading them on like a piece of string but you know I did I did it and I, they said look you know look we still need to celebrate because you've still completed your chemotherapy and that my family were you know they were like look you've done amazing this is the hardest part I knew it wasn't but it kind of was um so yeah I finished the chemotherapy on the 17th of August I wasn't allowed to have the operation for two, three months because my body was that weak and yeah. my immune system wouldn't be anywhere near strong enough to, to cope with a, an operation of that, that volume of, of importance. So I, I wasn't allowed to have that straight away. So I, I did have a little bit of normality. I did go back to work. That was really hard because I still ha didn't have any hair left. Um, and I, I work at David Lloyd in, in sales. So to meet customers and to go back and see members that was quite hard because I knew that everyone knew my the, the the club itself that I work for had been quite supportive in terms of you know letting the members know but to go back with no hair and no muscle was quite hard because I knew that everyone was some people just look and stare and some people come and buy you a coffee it was really weird um but everyone copes with it in different ways and i probably be the same of you know what do you say it's kind of a an odd odd situation to be in so I, and then I had a, a really big party with my friends which was which was great um but I knew it, at the back of my head was this operation was coming to me sooner and sooner so that was booked in for the, the 30th of November so I could recover quick enough to to have a good Christmas this time hopefully and I had it in the Cromwell Hospital, which is in South Kensington. It's where a lot of a lot of celebrities and footballers go for their private health treatment. Um, so that was, well, I don't even know. It was really scary. But same again, because the restrictions were in. I couldn't bring anyone with me to, to hold my hand. But to literally be dropped off at the door with a suitcase, this is your room. Um, you'll have your operation in a couple of hours' time. But I knew that I was literally about to be slit open from top to bottom under an operating table on an operating table for seven hours was yeah, it was very yeah, it was really scary. I mean the most scariest part, I feel like it's quite important to let people know is that I had to sign it to say like I obviously approved for this to happen, but there was a one to 5% chance of death and I had to sign that. I was just like, this is crazy. I'm about to have this operation and there's a chance that I might not even wake up again. So that was really hard to, to digest. But I still don't think I've digested it now. Um, but I had the operation. That was on the Monday and then I was home by the Friday. But then five days in hospital, I don't really remember much. You know, honestly, I was in intensive care. I was on a lot of drugs, a lot of morphine. Um, so it kind of just sped its way, but I remember being in a, in a lot of pain. I couldn't move, I couldn't move at all. Um, but for the next three, four weeks, it was quite an intense physiotherapy program. I had to get my core moving, um, but I was able to do it at home, which was quite good. And it was literally simple, like a walk to the toilet and back was me done for the day. That like, was really tough. Um, and that was that. 
So I had to wait again for another scan because my body wasn't strong enough from coping from the, the surgery. And I had a scan at the end of December. And then out of the blue, I got my results on the 12th of January, 2021. I was laying in bed with a coffee with Charlotte and my doctor called me out of the blue. I wasn't expecting results back to be this soon. And he just said, hello, Ashton, how are you? I said, yeah, I'm good. I said, right, please say you're calling me for something good because I've had three lots of bad news now. And he said, I'm, I'm really, honestly, this one, this one I'm really happy to say, but yeah, you're, you are officially in remission and you are cancer free. So you can go tweet it and don't forget to tag me because I deserve some recognition. So that was a kind of relationship we'd, we'd kind of built over the last year. Um, but that was, yeah, that was the best. It was the best moment of my life of 25 years of living, yeah. That's a, that's a, it's a great, great way to sort of end on a positive. I guess it's, it's got to end in that way, hopefully. Um, and, and unfortunately, it did for you. Um, one thing that I, I'm really interested in speaking about, uh, I guess it's one of my last questions for you is, and it's because of the impact it had on me and so many other people, is what made you decide to be so open with the, the journey? Um, because obviously a lot of people would just sort of deal with it in their own little world. Um, but you and, 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 and I know a lot of people appreciated it, really. You were so open about what was happening to you. You shared everything and you shared so many pictures. You showed, um, obviously made so many videos, which I, I actually shared with Kevin before we invited you onto the podcast. So what made you decide to do that? Why, why did you decide to really open up and show everybody what your journey was and what it looked like? I just think it was the only way, like it was my only option because because I was so, like I am still still young and because of how, you know, up to date I am with, with social media and, and this day and age that we all are in, there, I don't think there is no other option I could have lived through it because I think if I, if I didn't be so vocal about it, I don't think I would have coped because I didn't have, I, I had my support of my, my family and my little close bubble of friends. But I mean, I, I, ha I got diagnosed on December, 2019, and I didn't do a tweet about it until May, 2020. So I had that four or five months of hiding it. And that was horrible because mm. I was trying to like, not tell people, but tell people it was kind of weird. But Charlotte was the one who said, look, why don't you just do a tweet like a before and after photo of you before the operation? This was before the chemotherapy. So, and I actually did a tweet saying, look, I was really lucky. I went to the doctors, look, here's a picture of me on, on Sydney, Sydney Beach in Australia. And here's a picture of me in hospital bed, you know, don't take life for granted. And they went viral. And then literally it was like a month later, I was told that it'd come back. And I was like, oh my God, like this is so bad, but hold up a minute. I could kind of use this platform to build on. So I just did a follow-up tweet to that one. And it just blew up. It was absolutely crazy. I mean, I'm a massive Arsenal fan and Arsenal Football Club got in touch with me. I had messages from Paul Merson, Tony Adams, Lee Dixon, um, some celebrities like uh, Mario Falcone from TOWIE. And they all thought what I was doing was great, just, you know, getting it out there. But, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about it now, but it's just such a, a taboo of a subject of men not checking themselves and not talking about their problems and, 
you know, I, it was such a negative subject, but I had to find the positive out of it. And, and that was it from, from being so vocal and, and getting the message out there of men checking yourselves and, and it back to mental health. It's okay if you cry, men do cry. I cried a lot. I mean, yes, I was going through a, an awful stage of my life, but people do cry about normal things as well. And it's okay to do that. Um, but the main message was, I just wanted people to see how different I looked from what I, I looked like before being diagnosed to what I did during treatment, because I think that was a really powerful image of how different I actually looked, so that men do check themselves because they hopefully look at that and think, Jesus Christ, like that is intense stuff to look at. And I hope I do, you know, I hope that has worked. And I'm pretty sure it has because my phone blows up every day now. It's um, it, it's fantastic, and I think you know they say a, a picture paints a thousand words, and I think hopefully we've covered a thousand words actually over this recording, and it's been it's been extremely powerful. I mean, there's one more thing I want to kind of ask is that being somebody that, as you've stated, you are so young, but you've been through so much. You've showed exceptional courage and also strength, not just to go through the journey, but as Danny's alluded to, to share that journey with everybody. So to reflecting back now and uh, and i say we're we're all extremely happy that you are where you are now and you are in remission so what is kind of your if we can call it takeaway message golden piece of advice to everyone out there who is kind of getting hung up i guess in the trivial issues that we all seem to have in the world right now relatively speaking for most people uh, having been on this journey what would you say to everyone out there yeah i'm I've got a little slogan. It's just check yourself before you wreck yourself. Um, I think, you know, men, they definitely do need to check themselves. There's so many men that have messaged me of how do I check myself or how often do I check myself? And I do post regular things on, on my, my socials. Um, but, you know, check yourself every first of the month. Do it in the shower, in the bath. Google it. It's on the NHS website. It's so easy to, to check yourself um but also if you know if you are going through a problem which you think you can't cope with anymore let it out and just speak to someone it doesn't matter who it is your mum your dad your brother your next door neighbor just talk to someone because if I didn't talk to someone I would have been in, in such a, a worse state um but me talking to the world about it it helped me get through it and if I didn't do that it would have been a lot harder so definitely check yourself out all right. Uh, don't know if you've got any closing thoughts, Danny, for us. I, I think that's a really nice sort of message to finish on is, is a bit of advice from someone that's that's lived through this incredible experience. And for me, what what what's, what blows me away is is what Kevin said, your resilience and your your ability just to get knocked down, get back up again. And three times, he said, which you, which just must have been um, which must have been so hard. But I think that's a really nice way to finish is, you know, you've been through the experience. This, this is your advice that you would give to everybody. So I, I think that's a really nice way to finish, Kevin. Fantastic. Well, Ash, thank you so much for your time. And Danny, thanks for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. And we'll make sure we include every social link, every awareness, everything we need in the show notes so that everyone can follow your journey and hopefully follow up. And, and even if one person out there hears this and thinks, hey, there's something that maybe I actually need to go and check or do or say, then actually that it's been worthwhile. So Ash, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. 
thank you for having me. I've thoroughly enjoyed it and I hope everyone got the message. Thanks again to Ashton for such an honest and insightful interview and to Danny for some amazing questions. In the show notes, you can find four links we want to share with you and we'd love for you to check them out. The Cancer Lads Group, Macmillan Cancer, the NHS Million and the Mount Vernon Cancer Centre all do incredible work, so please do give them a click through and find out more. It's hard to refine that 45-minute discussion down to a few messages as it felt like a life-changing message every few minutes. A big one that resonated with me was the pride and alpha male message. Putting your ego aside and recognising that you only get one body, whether it's your physical or mental health, don't risk compromising it because you're too proud to ask for help or support from someone or somewhere. Ashton really did dodge a bullet and we hope this message will resonate with so many out there. So... On to next week and our penultimate episode of season four. It's hard to believe we've already done six shows this year. Next week, we are speaking to Kyle Sockwell, the former Arizona Sun Devil athlete who trained under the tutelage of one of the most successful coaches on the planet, Bob Bowman. We talk about the ups and downs of the athlete journey and what's it like stepping away from the athlete training pool and into the working world. Thanks again for joining us for the Rogue Monkey podcast and we hope you have a great week.